But now as I get ready to go into our um, second message on on community and, and being created for community, one of the things I kept coming back to this week as I prayed is, you know, I, try, I did a lot of studying on it, and I'm like, what kind of nice message can I give you all about community? Um, I kept coming back to the fact that when we read the Bible and we read about the New Testament church, there's one thing that stands out, and that's diversity. The New Testament church wasn't about everybody looking alike, everybody thinking alike, everybody living in the same place, everybody doing the same thing. And even the Pentecostal movement, as I studied the, our, our movement, when we first started, we were, one of the, we were the largest and most diverse movement around. It didn't matter the color of your skin, your nationality, where you were, who you were. They're, they had one thing in common, and as I, as I read the Bible, that's what I, I looked at. The focus was on Jesus. Nothing else mattered. It was counter at that point to Jewish elitism. And we can see that some today as well. See, the solution to the gender problems we have today, the race problems we have today, the social division we have today, the difference is, is when it's seen in the light of Jesus. We don't change culture by becoming like culture. We change culture by mirroring heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is diverse. As I've heard some preachers preach, some of y'all are going to be surprised by who you see in heaven. And so we want to make sure that what we're doing is that we are saying color lines, gender, all of it is washed away in the blood of Jesus. That's why we, we, I believe here, everyone's welcome. And we will welcome everyone here. Why? Because we were welcomed by God. And see, male, female, white, black, rich, poor, they were all conduits. We're all conduits of that same spirit of God. Now, James Bryan Smith made a statement. He said equality was discovered not by disregarding differences, but by finding the source of unity within their diversity. And my last point of my message is going to be today, I'll just share it to you with you now. We should celebrate diversity instead of trying to tell them how they're wrong or they're telling us how we're wrong and how we all got to think alike. Because as I've said before, I can tie two cats' tails together and they're united. But they ain't going to be in unity. Okay? So we got to think about that. A.W. Tozer, when you think about the unity and diversity, A.W. Tozer asked a question, and I think we really need to ask ourselves the question. And he says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? Think about that. For me, a guitar was an easy one. I can take my six strings or my five strings on my bass, and when they are tuned to the, what they're supposed to be tuned to, you can make one chord out of six different sounds because they're united and doing exactly what God's called them to do. And that's a picture of the church. When we're all fulfilling what God's called us to do and our differences don't pull us apart, they pull us together, we all of a sudden start becoming the body of Christ, start becoming the hands and feet in Christ, and we start working in unity and can make beautiful music. You know, Sean was up here today playing his guitar. 
And he didn't just play one string at a time, did he? He was playing chords. Chords are built up of three strings, or basically three different notes. And if you, just one of them's off a little bit. If you play guitar, it's like, oh my goodness, that is horrible. Now, people who don't listen to music have no idea, but at, for, for me, I am a tone freak. And when I'm listening to something and something doesn't sound right, it drives me nuts. And it distracts me. But out of that, what God's saying is, guess what? Those distractions are exactly what I want you to have to grow so you can become who I've called you to be as a body. Diversity doesn't mean we have to disagree when our one focus is on Jesus, when our one focus is on where it needs to be. So what, how Ephesians 4, 4 through 7 and 13 says, says it, everything I've been explaining so far, it says, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a spiritual gift through the generosity of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and acknowledgement of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. See, we don't have to make this church stuff up. There's one God, there's one Spirit, there's one Jesus who is leading the way. And we are not all the same. Because if I ask you all this morning, how many of you guys want to come up and speak? I will not see a lot of hands go up. I think it's still one of the top five most nerve-wracking jobs in the world is public speaking. Honestly, I'm not a big fan of it. But it's what God has me do. And when I can trust him with what I'm doing, then I don't have to worry as much. You all see me walking around before I come up here. It's because I'm, I'm praying, saying, God, don't, I don't want to screw this up. Help me. <laughs> because what we're doing, and when we start doing what God's calling us to do, we realize we're doing it for him, and I'm not doing it for you. I'm not even doing it for myself. I'm doing it because this is what God's called me to do, and this is where I fit. See, when, the Christ, is at the, when Christ is at the center of our relationships, he will do more than, than we could hope or accomplish on our own, even on our best days. When Jesus is the center of everything, he can step in and change things. Again, as I said, unity does not mean uniformity. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not all people, it's not all religions must think alike, but we all must put aside our desires, our wants, and our differences to seek Jesus, to hear from him, and become like him. That's why we can celebrate diversity. Is because when Christ is glorified, there's unity. If you think back to the upper room on the day of Pentecost, 120 believers in the upper room, what were they doing? It says they were all together in one accord. What does that mean? They were all together. They were all agreeing on the same thing, that guess what? Jesus is Lord, and we're going to wait for the promise that he called and told us to wait for. And so we're going to seek his face. Now, they still went about doing the business. They still went about doing what they needed to do. But it says that one accord thought process to me, sorry, dude, I just spit all over you. Um, that one accord thought process to me is so important because, it, again, it's not about us all trying to do our own thing or all trying to even go the same direction. We all have the same focus on Jesus. 
That's all we want to see. And, and when they were doing that, what happened? The Holy Spirit fell. They put aside what they wanted to pray, to seek God's face, and to be in unity with one mind seeking Him. And God blessed it. So today what I want to do, see, unity doesn't come in, we're not, we're not, at that point they were united in worship. But one of the biggest um, art discussion points in most churches is style of worship. It's not worship. Well, you do it that way. Well, we need this for this. No, worship is, should be a lifestyle. Worship is how we live. It's not some songs you sing. See, the Christian faith at the core of what it is is countercultural. It is nothing like culture. It is, it is saying, I'm going to put your needs before my own and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you when you don't even like me. I'm going to do what I can to reach out and help you however I can. Even though I might not have a bunch, what I have, I'll help with. Christian faith goes against the grain. The very teachings of Jesus taught to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Paul says, don't return evil for evil, but to love one another. Psalm 133.1 is really where all this message came from today. And it says, how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. That's a picture of the church, or should be a picture of the church. Again, it's not about us all thinking alike. It's not about us all looking alike. It's not all, all of us agreeing on everything. But the one thing that it's Him and His cross and Him crucified, and it's by His blood we are saved, and His name is Jesus. If we have that in common, everything else pales in comparison. So what does a united church look like? I, I pulled out some scriptures with this. The first thing is Acts 1.14. A united church is a church of prayer. Why? Because we're seeking God's face. We're not seeking our own desires. Acts 1.14 says, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his, with his brothers. See, we've talked about as a team, and, and honestly, we are still working on it. Prayer can't be something we do. It's got to become who we are. We don't say the obligatory prayer before we, meet, meet, we eat a meal, which, go ahead, do it. Nothing wrong with it. But when it becomes habit and it's just words we're, we're really just spitting out of our mouth so we can eat, that's why I do it, bless it, Lord, go ahead and eat. Because that's really all most people will do with their prayers before they eat. There's no thought to God that he blessed them with that food. It's just God bless this sloppy joe and make it a carrot so I'm eating healthier. And so we really, sorry, I did, I did that the other night. That's why I said that. I was eating like chips and a sloppy joe, and I'm like, God, make this healthy. Um, 
And I'm sure he laughed as well, because God's got a sense of humor. I mean, he made me. Um, but basically what was happening at that time is the, the early church, the early believers said, guess what, we're in this for the long haul. No matter what comes our way, no matter what happens, we're going to keep moving forward. We're going to go all in and see what Jesus does. We have the opportunity to live the same way. See, when we're all in and we stay focused on the promise and the commandment that Jesus made, it was to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We are saying, I'm so focused on Jesus that I want him, I'm asking you to make you make me more like you. Which means, guess what? I have my desires, what I want have to become less. And that's hard. Because we all think we know what's best for our situations. The results we see when the day of Pentecost had come is that they were all together. And what happened was that violent rushing wind that they heard came in and there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing on each one of them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. See, what we did the other night, um, we had a bonfire out here Friday night for you guys that didn't know or weren't able to make it. It was a lot of fun. I intentionally didn't talk about church stuff. Why? Because I just want to do life with you guys. Yes, we are part of the church. Yes, we are moving forward with the church. But guess what? You have families outside of here. We all have things that go on outside of here. Let's do life together. Let's really get into, this is what was happening in the upper room, is they were really getting into each other's lives. They knew what was going on. They didn't go over to their friend and say, guess what, did you know this is what they were dealing with? They, that, that's called gossiping and backbiting, by the way, and I'm pretty sure the Bible talks a lot about that not to do it. In fact, Isaiah 58 says, if you want to be rebuilders of cities, you got to stop doing that. They, they actually had empathy on that person who was going through something. They tried to be with them, and they went through it. And guess what then they did after that? They prayed about it, and they sought God's counsel. How do we help with this? It wasn't, hey, I heard this latest, greatest, newest thing that this is what you got to try because it'll make it better. Now we're going to seek God. What does God have to say about it? I'm not going to give you the answer I think you need. I'm going to let God give you the answer you need. And so we come together, and we pray together, and we work together. See, as we grow closer to Christ, we become a conduit of his wisdom. Because we've spent time with him. Because we've prayed. We've let the Holy Spirit move through us. We seek his will above our own. We put aside our differences by putting on Christ. See, prayer can't be something that, that we do only when things go wrong. Which, we all do that. It's easy to pray when things aren't going right. It's like, God, fix this. God, do this. God changed this person. God changed my spouse. God changed my friend. God helped. Which all, don't hear me wrong, please. Those all are important. But if God were to answer your prayers that you prayed yesterday, how would the world be different today? That's what we need to ask ourselves when we're praying. I'll challenge you once in a while with what I've gotten back into. Sit down in your prayer time and say, okay, God, I got nothing. And just listen. See what God has for you. You may be amazed at the blessings he's already brought into your life that you've been missing because you've been so focused on everything that you don't think is right. And we let God talk to us. 
The Bible says if you lack wisdom, ask. If you're not sure what to do, ask. If you're not sure where to go, ask. And God says, guess what? I will give it to you. Why? Because I'm a father. I love you. I will give you my wisdom. See, one of God's greatest desires is to have a close relationship with his children. And he does that by when we spend time with him, when we talk to him, and we listen for his voice. Second thing a united church is, is there a church of worship? Talked about that a little bit already. Worship is not just songs we sing. Worship is how we live our lives. Worship is where we invest our time. See, worship can't, and it is not something we do Sunday morning. And I said this quote before from Tozer when he says, if you do not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him one day a week. There is no such thing in heaven as Sunday worship. See, our life has to be about worship all the time. Our life has to be about trusting God all the time. Our life has to be about what he's doing. Now, we can't be so heavenly focused we're no earthly good. Don't hear me wrong. But our, our focus of our life should be on what God's doing, and we're loving him through it. Is life always perfect? No. Will we have problems? Yes. I said it before, and some of you need to hear it today. Sometimes you just got to have a praise through to a breakthrough. You trust God's promises and what God said, not what you see, until you get the breakthrough that you've been looking for. Because God will create in you in that time a character in you that will build you up, that will make you ready for the next step that he has for you. Because God has something greater for you than any of you know. I'm just saying. Some of y'all think God's taken you a long ways already. And guess what? You ain't even got a few steps down the road of, of what he created you for. Y'all are history makers. His story makers. And you get to represent and represent Jesus to the people around you. See, in churches today, we've had a tendency to say worship is the music. It's the songs we sing, which it is if you're singing the songs from your heart in awe of who God is. Now, we will probably do later this year, at the beginning of next year, a, a sermon series on worship and on praise to say, okay, well, how does God define it? Not what, how have we redefined it in Western culture. Ephesians 5, 19 through 21 says, Paul saying, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. How many of y'all have ever seen worship is surrender to one another? Your life shows what you worship. Romans 15, 6 through 7 says it this way. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given the glory. See, we learn to put God first. We learn to trust God with what we're doing. We learn to say, okay, God, guess what? We can lift up with one voice. If, if they're going through it, we can bring a problem to you with one voice praying for you, God, to step into this situation and help us. And what does he say? I'll do it. 
Now, it's not always the answer we want, and it doesn't always happen the way we want it to. So this is something we've got to come to terms with, that God is still sovereign. We can't manipulate him to do nothing. Our prayers can't be about manipulation. How many of you guys, and maybe it's just me, but how many of you guys have ever tried to make deals with God? God, if you show up and do this, then I will do this. God, if you help me in this area, I will do this for you forever. Yeah, I see some of you smiling. You just don't want to admit it. Um, we do, don't we? See, that's not, that's not how God works, and that's not how a father works. If y'all are parents, you know if your kids try that with you, you're like, you better go sit down. You know what they're doing right away. Well, God does too because God knows our heart. And so we come to God with a pure heart, and we come to God, and we're worshiping Monday through Saturday. We're not, we're not coming to church to worship. We come to church worshiping. We come to hear from God. We come to give back to God. We come to honor God. But we come to meet God. The third thing is a united church lives generously. Acts says in 2, 44 and 46, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Now, too often the church has got a bad rap. When people walk in that, they say all they want is our money. And the reason I say it's a bad rap, I'm not saying it's never happened. But if we're so focused on the money side of it, not really, there's more, there's more to generosity than finances. Us getting together on Friday night and having a barbecue cost us next to nothing. If you came out, it cost you nothing, except the two bucks it cost you to get here in gas, because it's gone up. But guess what? The generosity and the life that was created in that and amongst people hanging out and talking, guess, life started to get done together. We start to get to know each other. We start to build each other up. We're living generously. We're trusting God. Now, yes, I do believe God also cares us to financially trust him with our finances. If we don't, we're saying we're a better financier than God is. God's better with money than I am. I'm just going to be honest. And so I have to learn to live generously. Learn to say, guess what? I'm not going to give out of what I can give. I'm going to give out of what God's told me to give. See, like I said, I listened to a message a few weeks ago, and I think I told you guys. Michael Jr. talks about that. When we talk about living generously, we're not talking about the tithes. They're his to begin with. We're talking about giving above that. We're talking about saying my life is less about me and more about how can I help people. The fourth thing is, which went right along with it, is do life together. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That's Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. 
And what's really cool about that, and is all you guys, after all you guys are left, you know, me, Gary, and Adam were sitting around the fire walking out, and one of the, one of the little embers came flying out of the thing. I'm not going to tell you how that happened. But one of them came flying out onto the ground, and I'm like, that is a great analogy, because watch that ember. It started burning out really quick. Why? Because it was by itself. It was not around other believers that could encourage them and motivate them to do the right things. We have to get around each other. Guess what? Picked it up, tossed it back in the fire. It slowly relit. See, we're not called to do this alone. We're called to do this together. We're called to be knitted together as his body. And when we stay connected and we stay with each other and we stay lifting each other up and we stay going through problems together and we stay holding each other's hands, figuratively and real, we start to see God move, not us. And the fifth, fifth thing we look at, a united church says, I will celebrate the diversity we have in our people. Romans 12, 4 through 5 says it this way, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Does that sound like it's all about me? We all belong to each other to fill each other up. To finish off this morning, I want to read Jesus' prayer for us that he prayed in John 17. If you read the whole chapter of John 17, it was all about Jesus' prayers. But this one he was praying specifically for, I believe, for the church today and for Christians today. It says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. The interior journey of our souls from the wilds of sin into the enjoyed presence of God, I want to give you this picture to finish off, is beautifully illustrated in the Old Testament tabernacle. The returning sinner first entered the outer court where he offered a blood sacrifice on the brazen altar, and he washed himself in the laver that stood near it. Then through the a veil he passed into the holy place where a natural light could come. No natural light could come, sorry. But the golden candlestick which spoke of Jesus, the light of the world, threw its soft glow through, over everything. There also was the showbread to tell of Jesus, the bread of life, and the altar of incense, a figure of unceasing prayer. Though the worshiper had enjoyed so much up to this point, still he had not entered the presence of God. Another veil separated them from the Holy of Holies, where above the mercy seat dwelt the very God, very, the very, um, God himself in awful and glorious manifestations. While the tabernacle stood, only the high priest could enter there, and that but once a year, with blood he which he offered for our sins and for his sins and for the people's sins. 
It was the last veil which Jesus rent when he gave up his spirit at Calvary. The sacred writer explains that this rending of the veil opened the way for every worshiper in the world to come by the new and living way straight into the divine presence of God. See, at the heart of the Christian message is God himself waiting for his redeemed children to push into the conscious awareness of his presence. 